0: Hey everyone, I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait to get into it and share it with you. But I just wanted to remind you before we get going today to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter, EMS Pulse. Right now we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're going to be offering. Lots of language programs. Lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first-time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening. I really want to share it with you guys, and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites, expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy today's episode. Cheers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is a coach for expat partners who have given up their own careers in their home countries to help support their spouses abroad. Her company is called the Expat Partner Coach, and she offers a program called Adapt and Succeed Abroad that addresses the key issues faced by expat spouses from planning a move to adapting quickly and creating connections. She has been featured in Huffington Post, Women's Health MSN and Thrive Global. Please welcome to the show, Linda Mueller. Linda, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on the show and we were kind of chatting a couple of minutes before and I was like, shame on me. We have done over 150 episodes of this podcast and we have never talked about what it is like for a spouse who's had to follow their partner overseas. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. I want to get into all of these things and, and about your experiences, your life, and stories and anecdotes and everything like that. But first, why don't we take a minute and kind of, why don't you walk us through your backstory? How did this come about, your expat journey? I'm super curious to hear.
1: Well, where to start? It it started when I was a child, actually. I was a big reader, and I would read about all these different places all over the world. I mean, this was pre-technology, so it all came from books, a little bit from TV, And I really started dreaming about going overseas. So I lived abroad as a student three times. And that really fed my, what I now call my international soul. Um, It was the third time I studied abroad, I was in graduate school. And I realized that these weren't isolated events in my life, that this was a way of life for me. And fast forward, I graduated from business school, took a job with a major global company, was traveling all over the world doing marketing and strategy work, and met my husband in Minnesota where I was working. And one day he came home and said, what do you think about moving to Tokyo for my job? And that's when the whirlwind began. We, we moved overseas for three years. It was a big struggle. I call myself a former corporate climber because my job was everything. And I'm sure we'll get into identity. And it was my identity. There was really not much else. So this was a really big decision. And we moved overseas. And that first stint, as I call it, was really changed the trajectory of my life because I really did a lot of personal development. I held on to my corporate career, but I also explored a lot of other things that I found interesting. And over the course of the next 13 years, we made seven international moves. I had a child at 40. And here we are back in Chicago. I I call myself a repeat repat because we've moved back to the US, quote unquote, forever three times and then left again unexpectedly. So we're here for, we've been here for four years and it's a new record for our family.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I've certainly had people coming on to talk about, you know, coming back to the home country, that reverse culture shock and things like that, which is a very real thing. Okay. So let's slow things down a little bit, though. So you decided to move over to Tokyo with your spouse, with your husband. I'm kind of curious, like, what were the first steps? Like, how did it look at the very beginning? Like, what did you go through? Were you like super excited at the very beginning or did you were you a little bit scared? Or I, I don't know, what were those emotional reactions to such a, a massive shift?
1: Everything, I mean, everything you just said, really. I mean, It was my two biggest goals in life, which were to live overseas and really embrace another culture and have all the experiences that go along with that. And to have a very successful corporate career, and my job was going quite well. I worked for a profitable company. I worked a lot, so they liked that. I, I'm like the emoji that they have now where the guy's head is exploding. When my husband posed it to me, that's literally what how I felt was I was reacting. But long story short, I, after talking to a lot of my mentors in my company and seeking out ways to keep my career going. If we were to move overseas, I decided to go and it was the best decision I ever made. I, I really had to let go of a lot that I'd been holding on to, the path that I had set for myself that I was trudging along. I, I had to just let that go and, and just have confidence in myself and faith that I would be able to find fulfilling work and activities and things on my own without that corporate identity.
0: Mm -hmm. So did you, were you still working with that company? Was this like remote work kind of before digital nomadism was really a big thing or how did that look?
1: So, well, one thing I, I should mention is one of the best conversations I had before I made my decision was I went to talk to one of the executives at the company who, I mean, he'd probably been there 30, 35 years and he just looked at me and he said, Linda, Get over yourself. This company has been here for a hundred years, and it's going to be here when you get back. So just go and live your life and enjoy yourself. And all of the experience you're going to have are going to actually benefit your career. That was so freeing to me. But what I ended up doing was I was lucky that they, the company I worked for, was willing to give me a non-traditional leave of absence. They basically said you're supposed to be over in Tokyo three to five years. During that time, we'll freeze your seniority and your tenure, maybe it's a better way to put it, that sort of thing. And you can work for as a consultant in our headquarters in in Tokyo. So at that point, the Japanese subsidiary was the largest subsidiary in the company. So that was a really, that actually ended up being an amazing opportunity for me because I was one of the few Western resources in that office.
0: Yeah. I'd say that that is pretty rare because I don't know a lot of jobs and companies who are going to say, yeah, you can take three to five years break. And when you come back, everything is going to be waiting for you. So maybe, well, I don't know. Have you seen this in other people that you've worked with similar situations, or is this as unique as I'm kind of expecting it to be here?
1: I have known a few people who were able to work remotely for their company, but it depends on what kind of work you do. My company gave me a leave of absence and they held my tenure, but they didn't promise me a job when I got back. I was going to have to go back into the headquarters and start interviewing in different divisions. I was fortunate because I went into the company in an MBA development program where I served as an internal consultant. So I actually had a lot of contacts throughout the 35 plus divisions in the company, So I felt like that would be okay and that they would appreciate my international experience. But it is fairly unique, and I am very grateful that I was given that opportunity.
0: Well, okay. So my last point on this one, and and this is an important one, I think that a lot of time people seem to think that if they're taking a break in their career and going overseas, that it'll actually be seen as a negative thing if there's a gap in their resume or their CV where I believe in a lot of cases that future employers or businesses will actually look at this as a massive benefit. Because you have such new perspective when you live overseas as an expat. When you have a chance to travel and adapt and, and put yourself in difficult situations in a new culture and you overcome that, that builds so much character with you. And I think that a lot of companies do respect this and do recognize this. I think that people are also you know very human and maybe they didn't do these types of things when they had the opportunity and you know they might be a little bit jealous but maybe also living a little bit vicariously so i think that people are inherently good and want to see someone do well it's not going to be like oh you have a 3 year gap in your cv you know what happened you know now you're behind and you know you need to be working every minute of every day these gaps in our lives i think can be very beneficial
1: I completely agree with everything you just said. In my experience, I moved back to Minneapolis and I decided that while I was interviewing at my company for a divisional job, I was also going to interview externally. And I tell you, most of the people I interviewed with, they could not care less about the consulting business I started on the side when I was living in Japan, big projects that I did for my US company. Uh, the volunteer work they wanted to hear where i traveled if i learned the language what kind of food i tried i mean those were the things that they were really interested in and exactly like you said a lot of people were living vicariously or, or asking me for tips and and that sort of thing so i completely agree with you and i actually tell people the same thing i think live your life and do you know get in touch with your values live your life Make sure that your actions and your values are aligned and just be building a story. Even if you choose to move abroad and not work at all, just build a story about what you learned, what you saw, that sort of thing.
0: Because it is a unique experience. It is scary and difficult and challenging and things like this. This is not easy. I know I've been at it a really, really long time. I am still challenged. Listen to last week's episode of what's happening with me and my family in Brazil. I mean, this is not an easy thing, but it is worth it and it does build character. And I think that a lot of people really do wish that they had that same courage. And then I, I suppose that's why I do this show at the root of everything is to try to inspire people to go out there and make positive changes in their life. So, okay, so let's let's go back and let's talk a little bit. What was the experience? You you hit the ground in Tokyo, Japan. First of all, had you been to Japan before or was it completely new country? What was like the day one, week one, month one type of experience like for you?
1: So I had done a January term in Asia when I was in business school. So we were there for about three weeks and we visited companies and we toured a couple of different countries. So I had a feeling for Asia. And what I liked about it was that you know, as a student i had tra- backpack you know travel sounds too fancy for what i did as a student but i traveled all around europe so i thought i was so worldly and i knew what it was like to live overseas and that sort of thing but when i went to asia that first time as a student i just i was really humbled by the fact that i came off the plane and nothing was written in with letters that i could even pretend to read so I really I like that I felt like it was sort of challenging me and it was going to be something really unique for me to you know another thing to add to my list of experiences. But Japan, I had never been to. I love sushi. I've loved Japanese food. I've been interested in the culture. But my husband and I went on what they back then at least were calling look see trips. And the funny thing is, is we were only on the ground for about 48 hours and it rained. It was crowded. We got lost. I mean, anything that could make a bad weekend in a city, it happened. And I remember standing under an umbrella in a part of town called Hero and talking to my husband. And he just looked at me and he said, well, we're going to do it, right? And I said, sure. And we both just looked around. It was pouring rain. It was awful. And we just laughed. We're like, we don't really know what we're getting ourselves into, but we're doing it. So that kind of how it started.
0: Well, and the nice thing is that you guys did have each other. So that was probably... You know, having someone that you can rely on certainly makes things a little bit easier. And Japan is a pretty full-on country. I've been to Japan, I want to say maybe like 15 times or something like that. It's a pretty full-on country. Now, you had did say that you've had some experience with backpacking and stuff, and, and that's how I started my travels as well. We didn't have this word digital nomad or anything like that. It was all backpacking. I had a big red backpack, and I hitchhiked around the world for years and years. But yeah, Japan can be a little bit challenging for sure. So was he as excited about this as you were? Were you guys kind of on the same level or was one a little bit more ahead than the other? I'm kind of curious about this dynamic between the two of you going through this type of experience.
1: He was really excited. I mean, he's from Minnesota and had barely lived outside of the country. He lived in Amsterdam for about a year and a half before we met, but otherwise... Minnesota through and through. So I was actually really surprised that he wanted to do it. He's a big runner. I just thought, how's he going to run in Tokyo? But really what we came to learn about Tokyo is that it's really, I think it's similar to what I hear about New York. When you live there, you get your neighborhood and you learn your neighborhood. And so it feels like a small town, even though it's a massive city. He was really worried, more worried about me because he knew how much my career meant to me. And he was just worried, that I, even though I w- had lined up work at the company that I had been with in the US, that, you know, how would it work out? How would I fill my time? He was in a regional position. So he was going to be traveling quite a bit. But I have to say, it really, I mean, the fact that he was so supportive and he basically said to me, do what you want to do. I just want you to be happy. Really gave me the confidence to use that whole first three and a half years that we lived in Japan as an experiment and just to try different things. One thing that happened was you asked what happened when we first got there. I met with the president of the subsidiary who was an American guy who had just moved over there as well and he wanted to hire me as a local hire and all of the bells and whistles in my head went off and I just said I can't do this. Like I did not give up my job that i was in of course as it goes i was in my dream job in the us when this opportunity came up for my husband i was like i did not give up that job and the team and whatnot to sit in the cubicle and try to figure things out in japan so i convinced him to hire me as a consultant so that way and that just worked out for so many reasons you know in terms of my schedule and flexibility but also being able to work in different divisions within the subsidiary to figure out where I could actually add value because of the culture there. It's a very different work dynamic. And they would in the beginning, they were just deferring to me because I was from headquarters. And it wasn't that give and take that I needed because I didn't understand how things work firsthand in Japan. So that was really a much better way to do it. But I did start consulting fairly early maybe four to six months after we arrived but i started i also started doing a lot of volunteer work and socializing i met this group of 30 to 40 year old women without kids through the tokyo american club's orientation program and i mean that was just so fun because i wasn't doing that in the us i was just working and here i was going off and doing craft classes and going to museums and we started taking trips and I'd come home and my husband would look at what craft Japanese craft I had made and say, who are you? And what did you do with my wife?
0: So this was an expat group or this was a group of locals?
1: It was an expat group, but from there it expanded in. I ended up meeting some local Japanese people as well. So the second time we moved to Japan, I really felt good about the fact that I had a very good group of expat friends, international friends, but also local Japanese friends.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I, I do see this all the time, and I'm certainly, maybe guilty is not the right word, but I have been overseas many times and then got a group of friends and they're all expats, which is fun on its own level, but it's also fun to make sure that you have friends who are locals and then you're really learning about things from People who were born and raised there, who speak the language there, who have nuances that if you're in an expat bubble, you're really not going to be able to to understand. I think one of the other things that really happens in the expat bubble is that expats are not usually staying in a country forever. It's a couple of years, then they move somewhere else, a couple of years and if you're not careful all of your friends will end up leaving and you're going to be the last one there and you haven't gone out there and made new friends i know this certainly happened to us when we were in the middle east we lived in i lived in abu dhabi for 8 years my wife was there for 6 years you know we had a huge group of friends and then one by one people started to leave and and we didn't really replace our friends and then we kind of woke up one day and it was like it was just me and my wife. That was it. That was all that was left. And I was like, well, really, what are we doing here anymore? Do we want to go through all of that effort of making new friends here in the UAE, or do we want to try something else? So after eight years, we decided to leave, and, and that's how we ended up in Panama. One of the reasons we ended up in Panama. But I think that if we had have put more of an effort into having local friends, then we would have had more of a sustainable group that wouldn't be leaving. And who knows? Maybe we would still be there.
1: It's interesting. I can relate to that. What I found, given the Japanese culture, is that my friends, like my true friends that are Japanese, had either lived overseas or were married to somebody from a different country because they were much more open to being friends with Westerners. I did get to meet quite a few lovely Japanese people when I was working in my company's subsidiary. And a few of them I tried to socialize with, but one of them actually said to me, like, I'm Japanese and I'm not interested in doing a lot of the quote unquote expat type things. And I, I respect that because I know they work long hours. They live far outside of the city. I mean, there's it's just a very different vibe. But I was very fortunate to find quite a few people that I could become friends with that were that were Japanese and open to being friends with foreigners.
0: That makes sense. So talk to me a little bit then about what you learned during this experience. I mean, you spent a couple of years in Japan. Yes, you had had some international experience, but not like this. This was very new for you. So I'm kind of curious, Like, how did you overcome things? What were the challenges? What did you learn? You know, I think that this is probably pretty beneficial stuff for a lot of my listeners who are going to make a move or maybe have just made a move. So what can you talk to me about on that side?
1: Well, we were in japan a total of three and a half years that time and i call it a crash course in personal development because i it changed the trajectory of my life i was very happy and proud to be working for my u.s company's subsidiary and i wore that on my shoulder i mean anytime anyone asked me what i did i made sure they knew at the same time that made me different than the other quote unquote trailing spouses, as we were called back then. I prefer expat partner now, but at the time, that's what it was. A lot of them didn't work and didn't want to work. So I would have people make sort of obnoxious comments to me if I said, oh, I can't come to the volunteer meeting because I have to work. And I literally one time had a woman say to me, oh, you have to work?
0: As as if it was a dirty word, a negative
1: Exactly. And I just I laughed it off and I said, oh, be careful what you wish for, ha ha ha, and let it go. But of course I hung up the phone and was. But I started doing some volunteer work with the Run for the Cure Foundation in Japan, doing sponsorship. So I was reaching out to companies to get them to sponsor our event. And through that, I met a lot of entrepreneurial expats and entrepreneurial Japanese people. And I started consulting with them, but I fell into it. I never thought being a corporate person. I never thought that I had a job or a skill set that could just become a consulting business. I just thought I had to work for a big corporation. And I started working with these different solopreneurs and people, I would meet them for lunch and just talk to them about their businesses and how they could get into the expat market. And all of a sudden, people started showing up with a gift card for something or offering to buy me lunch and saying, Oh, you're helping me so much. And that was really good for my ego. And so I started thinking about doing a consult, like starting a consulting business, which I did. So that was really, it was helpful because I went from corporate work to my own consulting business in there. I was also doing a lot of volunteer work and then, and living this social life that I hadn't, really lived before. It was really in retrospect I was really experimenting and just trying all different types of things. And at one point I realized that something had shifted for me and I hired a life coach and it was so helpful to have someone to talk to about all these things who wasn't judging me and she was just helping me process what I wanted to do longer term when we went back to the US because I knew it was going to be different than the working 60 to 80 hours a week for a big corporation that I that I had been doing.
0: Well, I definitely think that on this show, we have a lot more of the people who are expats or going to be expat, expat hopefuls, as I call them, who are not coming from the corporate world, or at least their expat journey is not the corporate piece of it. It's more the entrepreneur, the solopreneur, the investor, these types of people who are a little bit more individual. Not to say that a lot of my people are not in the corporate world, but it's usually that they're want to go overseas to kind of get away from the corporate world. They don't want to do the nine to five anymore and they want to travel and things like that. So we don't have a lot of, or at least I don't have a lot of experience with the, you know, the uh, country club type of expat experience. I know that in China, in Thailand, in Japan, and in you know, we've had people on, on Singapore who have talked about this type of country club life where they're just making multiples of what they would in the United States, And they get into this little tiny bubble and it's a very different experience. So it's kind of interesting for me to hear that you did come from a corporate background. You moved overseas because of your spouse's corporate background, and then you still ended up falling into the entrepreneur side. And then that was kind of by choice and kind of by opportunity that presented itself. But that's just kind of an interesting detail there.
1: You know, I found it so much fun that I found myself saying no to the corporate projects that my company was offering me because I wanted to spend more time working with the entrepreneurial expat partners and locals that I was meeting because it was so fulfilling. A lot of them had a skill or a talent, but they didn't know how to commercialize it. And so I, in some cases, I was becoming a bit of their business manager. And I was finding it frustrating that when I would step out of the equation, they would let all of the work that we did, in some cases, let all of the work that we did building the structure of the business fall aside. And that's one reason that I decided to get certified in life coaching because I feel, felt like I could then coach them, be a business coach, and they would have to have more ownership over the work that we were doing. Then one thing led to another, including the big earthquake that there was in, in Tokyo, or it wasn't in, it hit Tokyo, but it was in Japan overall, the- um, Fukushima. Yes, thank you. In 2011, then that actually made me realize that I was spending a lot more time doing general life coaching with my entrepreneurial expat clients than actual business coaching. Or what would happen was we would get together and the session would end up being a life coaching session. And then I would end up taking the business part of it and doing it offline and coming back to the next meeting. And I realized that wasn't really the business model I was looking for. So that's how I evolved into being a general life coach for expat partners. But I think a lot of my clients are former corporate people or sometimes they are people that are looking for purpose and fulfillment through creating a company while they live overseas. And I think my background attracts those types of clients.
0: Well, definitely the mindset aspect of business is super important and often not addressed. People often focus on the hard skills, but if their minds are not in the right place to be able to build something, it's going to be a really uphill battle. I know from personal experience and doing this for many, many years that you have to get your head in the correct spot and then things become a lot easier and flow a lot more naturally.
1: Right. I think... When I realized that we were going to most likely stay on this international path, I also knew that I needed to have a portable profession because I like working and I I don't look at it like work. It's just what I enjoy doing. So I really wanted to have something that I could take with me. But at the end of the three and a half years, we found out we were moving back to the U.S. and then i i wasn't quite as evolved as i am now so i did end up going back into a corporate position but that didn't last that long because that's when the whirlwind started and we started moving like every year and a half two years
0: well let's dig into that because i am curious about your experiences and the other places that you've lived and all the things that you've learned along the way because it's it's really fascinating to kind of be able to look back at a 10 15 20 year career of being overseas and kind of as things evolved for you and as you kind of quote unquote started to get it, you know, things change in your life. I know from my experience, they certainly have. And I'm still learning things about living overseas and being international that I would have expected myself to know before. And look, at I'm here in Brazil and I'm still learning things. So, I mean, even I am definitely not infallible in this in any shape or form.
1: <laughs> I get that. So. What happened? So we were in Japan three and a half years the first time. And then we moved home for about 15 months. And then we moved as I was. So we moved back to Japan the second time we were there for three years. And my daughter was born six weeks after we arrived.
0: Back to Tokyo or new place?
1: Back to Tokyo.
0: Okay. So same city, same neighborhood or?
1: Different neighborhood, different company, different employer for my husband.
0: Okay. So there are some big changes there still.
1: Yes. But the big thing that remained the same was that we were only gone for we were gone for less than a year and a half so our friends were still there most of our friends so you talked about people that you know being the long-term expat and having your friends all leave I'm the one that leaves like that but I also one of my friends when I moved back to Japan the second time was like you're like a boomerang you're back and even in that 15 months that we were gone I visited once in like in that 15 months so I, I really love Japan. I mean, when I get off the airplane and walk in like the word to Daima just radiates throughout my entire head and soul because it, it means I'm home. And that's really, Japan has really become our family's home away from home. So to speak, I mean, we were there for almost seven years in total. Uh, and our daughter was born there. And before we left, she was just about to turn three and she was fluent in Japanese because we really made an effort because a lot of, Foreigners that move to Japan don't do this with their kids. And I had people say to me, like, well, why are you bothering? But we I put her in a Japanese-only preschool when she was about two. And we also hired a Japanese babysitter to come in two or three days a week in the afternoon just to play with her and bathe her and feed her, speaking household Japanese to her. So that was the really The best important. way to do it.
0: It's the best way to do it. I mean, I can definitely vote for that one, especially if the the nanny or the helper doesn't speak any English or have any type of fallback language, where they just have to speak to the child in the target language. It is amazing how fast the child can learn.
1: Yeah. Well, and I tried to keep it up when we moved. So we did move to Chicago after we left Japan the second time, and I hired a few Japanese women to come in, babysit and play, but I'd walk into the room and they'd be playing with her, but not speaking. And I'd explain to them, I don't need someone to play with her. I can do that. I need you to speak Japanese, just say everything. And it, it didn't work out, but she went to a school that was teaching French. And so I thought, well, if she's learning a second language, or at this point it was her third language, I thought that's better than nothing. And let's just get that part of her brain working.
0: Well, we did an entire interview with Sarah Tarvin talking about child's education and learning a new language or multiple languages in an expat environment. If you guys haven't heard that, definitely go back and listen to it. I think we spoke for about two hours and there are so many tips and tricks. And it is exactly what Linda is saying here. Having... Someone to come in and help the child in a different language can really make a big, big, big difference and help to develop the child's brain to learning multiple languages. So make sure you check out that episode. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world there are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries who are digital nomads who are expats who have gone offshore and there's just so much there so i'm really excited about it i hope you can see that i'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than i ever expected and a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are you are an awesome person i really really appreciate it so if you guys want to get involved if you want to join the conversation then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on facebook directly you can search for expat money forum you'll find us there we should come up on the very first page and yeah join the group join the conversation lots happening there okay let's jump back into today's interview Okay, so you came back after 15 months. You, six weeks later, your baby was born. Let's let's go on that little detail for a second. Giving birth in a foreign country, in a hospital where you don't speak the language, maybe, I'm not sure. What's been your experience? I probably could do an entire episode about this. We've done it twice ourselves. So I'm, I'm curious on this one, what you think of it.
1: Well- Ignorance is bliss (laughs) because (laughs) there was one doctor who basically delivered 90% of the foreign babies and he spoke English and I went to him. But what I came to learn later is that when things go well, they go really well. And when things don't go well, they go really poorly. And I was in the latter category, unfortunately. So it wasn't a great experience.
0: Mm, Sorry to hear that.
1: Yes. I mean, that's a whole nother story. But I was very grateful to be in Japan. I had a good group of friends and I met that helped me expand my network of friends because I met quite a few other mothers. And it took me a little while to find some that were in my same situation, because in Japan, people tend to have their babies much younger. I had just turned 40 and. They were telling me that i was too old I was like well it's a little too late because i'm about to deliver <laughs> okay i think it's going to be okay
0: but, thanks for um, the the help on that one guys yes
1: <laughs> but i used to joke around with my friends in the us that the other moms of newborns were 10 years younger than me but really most of them were even like 10 to 15 years younger than me because a lot of the women had moved overseas and then just started their families versus I had gotten married later and was working and that sort of thing. But I found my I found my people and I'm still good friends with them. And it's been, it was really, it was nice in a way because, I don't know if you've done this, but when you move back to a country you've already lived in, you have to be a little careful because everything can change and it might not be the same experience. But for us, the fact that we welcomed a child changed the second, the experience because it was much more around having a newborn baby and trying to figure out how to keep her alive and all the other things that older parents or parents in general just don't know how to do when it first happens. You know, that was actually quite helpful, you know, in terms of like mentally adjusting to being back there. But one thing that was interesting is that I was on another leave of absence from my U.S. company because I had decided to go back there when we were only back for a year and a half. And when I came off my maternity leave period, I was offered a regional position by a male VP. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't leave a newborn baby in earthquake-prone Japan with a nanny while my husband and I are in regional positions traveling all over the place. And then someone, I'd be a little careful, mentioned to me that he was testing me. And I just thought, testing me? Like I have been so loyal to this company. I have worked 60 to 80 hours a week. I have never questioned anything that you've asked me to do. I've just done it. and. You're testing me at this point in my life. So I looked at that as a sign and I said, you know what? I'm going to get certified in business coaching. I'm going to pick up with my clients that I had the first time. And then the rest was history. It was great because I could balance that with my husband was traveling quite a bit internationally and I was home with our child and I was still able to work and socialize and it worked out quite well.
0: I'm curious about your interactions with friends that you had or new friends that you were making with having a new child. Because one of the things that I've noticed as an expat is most cases we don't have that larger support structure. We don't have the parents or the grandparents, the cousins, the siblings, that would normally help out in an experience like this. So I'm kind of curious, what was the dynamic like or you as a new parent in a foreign situation in a country which is so radically different than what you grew up in?
1: So my friends that didn't have children yet, they're lovely people and they had really good intentions, but they would say things like, well, let's go out to lunch. We'll help you with the baby. And I just remember the first time we did it, sitting with my two-month-old on my lap while they all had a lovely lunch. And I'm jiggling her and trying to keep her from crying and not eating. And I thought this is not going to work. So i had to have a little conversation about how what it's like to have a baby. But I also had some friends who had had children and they were my lifelines. I mean, I have a woman who I'm still friends with who I could text pretty much any time of day and ask questions. And she never judged me. She always told me what to do, gave me advice, made me feel like it would be okay, And I'm forever grateful for that because it's scary. You don't have, you know, you're in a different time zone than your friends and family in your home country. And I mean, honestly, I don't want to sound dramatic, but I had babysat when I was younger, but I had not spent time with young children. So I really didn't know how to do the basics. So that was really my lifeline. And then, as I said, over time, I started to make other friends that had similar experiences where they had careers before they decided to start a family. And I'm still very dear friends with three of them and have these wonderful memories of our kids rolling around in the dirt together and us having coffees. And it was, I mean, that's a really special time. I, I really feel like that having our child the second time we were in Japan just really made it extra special because the first time we were there, we were having fun, but you know, it's kind of hedonistic. We were reliving our college days, going out, trying the restaurants. We didn't have any responsibility. It was that sort of a lifestyle. whereas. The second time we still went out and we had fun, but we, you know, it was much more around creating this family life.
0: Yeah, it's a different dynamic for sure. I think that that's such an interesting point about it because you can do the expat life and travel internationally. And, and I don't think it ever gets old or stale or boring by any means. I think you could probably do it forever and ever and never get bored. But when you do it with a child, it's just a completely different dynamic, and you just see things in a different light, and you just get into opportunities and experiences that you just wouldn't if you were you know, by yourself or even with a spouse. I mean, my daughter is five years old now, and she walks up to literally everybody, everybody, and says hello. In She doesn't get the response that she wants in one language. She tries another language, and then another <laughs> language, and then another language, and it's like you just start making friends with people and talking to people because they've got kids and you've got kids and you probably would never speak to them before. It would be kind of weird just to walk up to random people, but for a five-year-old to do it, it's totally fine. And it's like a complete icebreaker. So I certainly appreciate, you know, traveling with kids and the the differences that that makes and, you know, the challenges for sure. I mean, I'm not going to say there's not challenges traveling with a child, but it's, The expat experience is so much richer, I think, with kids. Like, I wouldn't trade this for anything. And I mean, I get all the time people are saying, Oh, you know, this is fun now, but you know, when you have kids, you're going to have to settle down and you're going to have to go home. It's like, no, I'm having my kids on the road and I am going to keep traveling. And it's actually made my experiences better as an expat, not worse. So, yeah.
1: I love that. Yeah. You know, it's become, it's part of who my daughter is. I mean, she, we moved back from London four years ago. And so she is a fully embraced living in the u s. But she's a third culture kid. I mean, there's so many experiences she's had. There's things that are normal to her. She sees people just as people. She doesn't really worry about where you're from or anything like that because she just knows like everyone's from everywhere. I feel like I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like her world is so big. And it makes me see the world differently because I see it through her eyes. Like Anything's possible in her eyes because she's had all these experiences.
0: Wow. Amazing. So, okay. So l- let's get into some of the other countries. You mentioned London there. You kind of prefaced it. Let's, let's hear about some of the other countries that you've spent time in. And, and let's continue our journey here. I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear about all the little experiences you've had.
1: So as we were coming close to three years my husband's company told him that, oh, we I, we don't have anyone to replace you. You stay in Japan longer. And we thought, oh, yes, <laughs> no, no reason to even ask. We're happy to do it. So then all of a sudden he got the phone call like, oh, we had a great idea. We're going to move you back to Chicago and you're going to have your same job plus more regional responsibility. So basically we were living in Chicago and he was traveling four to six days a week internationally. And So my daughter and I were basically on our own, but luckily, you know, we ended up making a lot of friends here and that sort of thing worked out fine. But he, very shortly after we moved back to Chicago, because we had never lived here before, he um, received a call from an airline in the Middle East to go work there. And at first I thought, I don't even know where this is. Like, what are you talking about? We just got here. We're just, you know, just bought a house. What are we doing? But then I thought, you know, my daughter was just going into kindergarten and I thought, like, let's just have one more adventure before we have to get quote unquote serious about her schooling. I don't think that way anymore, but you know, (laughs) that's what I was thinking back then. So we ended up moving to Abu Dhabi.
0: You lived in Abu Dhabi. Oh my goodness. I
1: did. You didn't tell me that. Oh my goodness. Did you for like, Oh, gosh. So as soon as we moved to Abu Dhabi, he got a phone call about a job in London. So we literally were setting up house in Abu Dhabi and thinking we may be moving to London. So I was only there for about a year and a half.
0: Where? uh, Okay. First of all, what what year were you there? And then what neighborhood? Sorry, everyone. This is like, I didn't know that you were in Abu Dhabi.
1: (laughs) So we moved. I thought the same thing when you said you lived in Abu Dhabi for eight years. So I didn't want to interrupt you, though. Uh, let's see. We moved there in 2014, and then we were there for about a year and a half. But We, we lived out by the airport by Yaz Island.
0: We were probably next door neighbors. That's crazy. I was there from, what was it, 2011 till 2019. So we were there at the same time, and that's so, 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 so funny.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we went back once, but I, I need to go back.
0: That is so funny that you lived in Abu Dhabi as well. I am just blown away because I'm I'm so I, I say this because I'm so passionate about the UAE. I had such an amazing time in my life there. You know, I'm almost 40. And for me, spending eight years of my life there, that's like a good chunk of who I am. And I I think I will always think of the UAE as home. And you know, we were back and forth to Dubai a thousand and one time. I Loved Abu Dhabi, We had a great experience and we used it to travel out to so many different countries from there. So so you were there for a year and a half, I guess quickly, like what were kind of your opinions about living in the Middle East? And then let's get into your experiences in the UK.
1: So my time in the Middle East was very eye-opening because I feel like I saw the best of its side of the UAE I should say because I didn't get to travel around the Middle East but for the UAE I felt like I saw the best and I I saw some challenging things but they were my opinions and my experiences versus a lot of the people that I speak to in the U.S. When I left there people said oh I'm so glad you're not living in the Middle East and to be honest with you I would always say to people it was the safest place I have ever lived and Japan is pretty safe so for me to say that I'm you know it's Pretty serious statement, but, you know, we met very nice people. I was lucky my daughter's school. I met some karate people, Um, one in particular I came friendly with, which was a great opportunity to just learn a bit more about the culture, which you mentioned earlier. I mean, I I saw things through her that I wouldn't have seen just as an expat there. At the same time, it was a bit challenging, you know, with the sandstorms. My daughter developed environmental asthma because of the sand in the the air. I mean, so there were some health challenges that way. Nothing really worked like it was supposed to. Like our apartment looked amazing, but then I turned the water on and it was like it wouldn't come out. And, you know, we had to leave on time and they couldn't figure out where the water was coming from because the plans to the place had been lost when they were built. I mean, so there's like funny things like that. But I always said to myself, like, if you can live there, then like, you can live in a lot of other places because there's, you know, it's it's a new country. I, I remember driving around and seeing the signs that the UAE was 45. And I remember thinking, even I'm older than the UAE. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it explains where they are on the, the spectrum of developing and modernizing and, and building. I mean, but
0: pretty amazing what they've done in 40. Well, it's it's probably almost 50 years now but yeah, I think I, when I first came, it was their, their 40th birthday of the country when I first arrived. And I remember, yeah, national day and it was like 40 years. That's it. Like people were living as Bedouins in tents before that.
1: (laughs) Oh, and now the universities that are there, the art museums. I mean, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Cleveland clinic. They've built not just everyone knows about the dubai palm islands the, the jumeirah but yas island they've built all of those ones up the grand mosque has come in it's just uh, it's crazy in such a short amount of time what they've been able to do in that country
1: well the grand mosque is something that if you're ever in the region like that is something to see it is breathtaking
0: i've been to it oh god i want to say 20 times it was one of the the things that, you know, I always had people visit me every two, three months, I'd have a friend or a family member visit me. And I would always take them to the Grand Mosque. A lot of the other stuff I'd be like, okay, here's the number for a taxi. You go and have fun. You do that. I've done it two times, 10 times, 15 times before, but the Grand Mosque I always went to, because no matter how many times you've been there, it's still so, so, so impressive.
1: It is. And, you know, one thing about living in Abu Dhabi is you're so well positioned for travel. And that's one reason that I wish we would have stayed there longer, because part of our reason for moving there was to travel the region. And we did make it to a few amazing places, but I still have Sri Lanka on my bucket list because I didn't make it to Sri Lanka.
0: It's the center. Like you have fly Dubai, you have Emirates, you have Etihad that are all short drive. And from there, you can basically go to every corner of the earth. So it's like we were just taking. So many opportunities. Like people wonder how I've been to Korea 50, 60 times. I live there and I work for business and I flew back and forth multiple times a month. Same with Switzerland, same with Germany. It's constantly flying and it was just direct flights. If I had to do that from Toronto, where I'm from, oh my God, I'd be, it just wouldn't have been possible.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and you know, one thing about living in the UAE too is that it is quite far from being from North America as well like it is quite far so when the opportunity to move to London came up we one of the reasons we decided to do it was because it was closer it would be easier to get back to the U.S. because our parents were both getting or both of our parents were getting a bit older and there were just personal reasons to to make that move because otherwise I was definitely not ready to to pick up and go as quickly as we did. One other thing that was interesting for us living in the UAE is that my husband was a local hire. So in Japan he had been on the, you know, the corporate package, not necessarily a big high flyer one because you know that's a bit of a spectrum too. People always assume if you're on a corporate package that it's like some fluffy thing, but they're all getting cut with most companies now also. So he was a local hire and that gave us a very different experience because there were a, a lot of different issues that we had to Deal with on our own or in a different way, not being connected to an American company.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, your experience in London, how long were you in the UK for? My first instinct is that the UK would probably not be as big of a culture shock as maybe the Middle East or in Japan. But maybe I'm wrong. Did you have different challenges there? Were you kind of a seasoned pro at the expat scene at that point and walked in and everything was perfect? What did life look like in the UK?
1: So when we moved to Abu Dhabi, we were supposed to be there about five years and we were there a year and a half. As I said, we moved to the UK. It was supposed to be five to seven years. My husband was working. He was a local hire in the UK, but he was working for an American company. So it was a different situation there as well. We were told five to seven years, but we only made it two before my husband decided that he wanted to do something else. And we came back to the US, but they were two glorious years. I mean, it was amazing and we made great friends we were lucky we lived in west london not in central london much to my chagrin when we first moved there but it actually ended up working out really well because we lived in this part of london that a lot of the kids from my daughter's school lived in so right away we started meeting this international group of families and and had friends that way and and that really helped us settle quite quickly because as you mentioned, I'd lived overseas quite a few times at that point. And so I think the basics of setting up, it wasn't necessarily easier because each country you have to figure out how to do things. And by the way, you're still dealing with life's trials and tribulations. You're just doing it in a different country. So that's always a a bit interesting, but we really settled relatively quickly in London and started enjoying it right away.
0: Well, that's interesting because, yeah, I would say that the lead time of getting over the difficult stuff, finding your groove and starting to really enjoy your expat experience can actually become shorter and shorter that every time you do this. So maybe the first time in Japan, maybe it took you months and months to kind of get over things and all the culture shock and things like that. And maybe after doing it a few times... It's like you still went through it, but in kind of a condensed time frame, which allowed you to get more out of the rest of the experience, even though two years is a good amount of time, but it's not forever. I mean, two years goes by in the blink of an eye. I think you'll probably agree with me. Okay, so that's interesting. Also, one other question on that one, though. With the schooling for your child, did she go to an international school, even in the UK, or was she going to a local school?
1: She went to an international school because the british education system is quite different and we thought we'd be there 5 to 7 years and we thought if we moved back to the us when she's in middle school or high school it would be a very difficult transition so we chose to put her in an international school but it was really international it wasn't a bunch of americans in a foreign country i mean that's one thing i mean we'd friends that were spanish and german and i mean a lot of european friends there was actually a few japanese families that i was very happy to meet so it was uh it was a really good international experience for us
0: because definitely the international schools in like the middle east are what on every street corner you're going to see gems academy or something like this or canadian international school but in the uk it's It's not the first thing that would come to mind for me, to be honest. You know, I would have kind of assumed because, okay, I'm Canadian, you're American, we both speak English, you move to the UK, it's English speaking, that it would be more likely to just go into a regular school. But that's an important point about the different curriculum and where the child is down the path of education and if you're going to be moving back. So two years in the UK and then back to the States again? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm noticing a pattern here, Linda. I'm noticing a pattern.
1: <laughs> My husband can't keep a job. Um, no, you know, it was a hard decision to leave because we really were happy living in the UK where we were. It was interesting because when we moved to the UK, I said I need a year to get us settled because while it all happens more quickly when you have the experience, it still takes time to really create those bonded friendships and to find the appropriate doctors, and just to get all all that groundwork set up that if you think you're gonna be somewhere five to seven years is so important. And as we approached the end of the first year, I was getting ready to start really focusing on my business again, and I just said to myself, with our record, you deserve to take this next year and just enjoy yourself. And it's the greatest gift I think I've given myself because I spend time touring around London with a group of other international women and taking trips with my family and my friends and doing all of these very British things, you know, going to tea, going to the Windsor horse show, like all of these things that I am traveling to places in the UK that I might not travel to as a tourist for due to lack of time. And I'm so glad that I did that because then you know, the last six months we were there as my husband was deciding whether or not he wanted to stay in his position or go back to the U.S. It was, I was leaving satisfied because I felt like I had lived those two years to the fullest and I wasn't leaving with regrets, big regrets. You know, you're always a little bit, you know, when you're living in a place you love and then you choose to leave, it's always a bit leave with a little bit of longing. But at the same time, I felt like I did this well because I came into it with experience.
0: You made the most of your time while you were there and appreciated it. I think that's another insight that you know how short a time in a country can be. So to make the most of it, things don't last forever and opportunities don't last forever. So get out there and explore and, and... See the world, see the neighborhood, see the country, see the city, anywhere you are, because who knows, change countries again. I also think that that's very interesting about, you know, coming into a country with the mindset that you're going to be there for five to seven years. So going out there and trying to purposefully set everything up, opposed to the mindset of, you know, oh, I'm only going to be here a year or two. So what's the point of doing all of that type of stuff? Because I know it's a very different experience for me being in Panama, where it's like, all right, We've moved to Panama, we've got our permanent residency there, we're tax residents there, You know, we've got a home there and everything, opposed to Brazil, which is like, all right, we're going to be here originally for three to four months. It's now been extended to six months, and we're going home any day now. So it's like we didn't have to set up those expat things, but we are out five days a week trying new restaurants and exploring new beaches and everything. So because it's a definitive amount of time, it's not like, oh, you know, I can do that later or next week or next month. It's like, no, take advantage of it right now today, because it's not going to last very long. So it's it's interesting, the mindset that you can be in as an expat and how you approach different situations at different pieces, different time periods in your life.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, if I would have known we were only going to be in Abu Dhabi for a year and a half in London, two years, I would have done things completely differently. But we've always lived with, we have to deal with, we have to, you know, make decisions based off of the information we have at hand. And so that's how we've chosen to do it. But, you know, my career, one of the reasons I was happy to set up a portable business was because I needed it to ebb and flow with my life. And during that whirlwind period, when I think in five years we made, four international moves. I mean, it was something, some crazy number, but I could let it ebb (laughs) and I would work with some former clients, but it was okay. And I kept saying to myself, all, everything you're experiencing now is giving you more understand, a deeper understanding, a broader group of people have gone through, you know, we've been on, like I said, the corporate package, sort of quasi local hire, local hire. Like we've, really done it in so many different ways in a short amount of time that I just feel like all of the lessons I've learned have helped me and they even helped me repatriate because the first time we moved to Chicago from Japan I hadn't lived here before so I truly lived like I was still an expat I was exploring I was making friends I was doing all the same things that I did when I moved overseas and now I just look at it like I have an international mindset And it doesn't matter where I'm living, I can be living in my home country, I can be living overseas, but that helps me feel grounded, fulfilled, like I have a purpose. It all starts to make sense, in my head at least, You know, everything that I've chosen because my life has been so different from what I set out on as a a young adult going off to college.
0: Yeah, I can understand that completely because definitely when you're moving back to your home country, you still have to go through all of these types of things especially if it's not in your hometown and you know you didn't keep all of your stuff in a shipping container or something like that. If you're moving to a new city, you have to still set everything else up again, the home. And with a child, you probably don't want to be living out of a backpack like you may have done when you were much, much younger. I mean, I know for me, I need to have a proper home for my family. We're not doing the backpack thing. We're not living out of suitcases by any means. But I guess... I want to focus a little bit in the little bit of time we have left for this interview is maybe some of the tips or the tricks or some advice that you can give someone who might be listening today, who is a spouse that is thinking about doing this and, and saying yes to the opportunity of moving overseas with their spouse because of an opportunity. What are the, like, the tips, the tricks, the strategies to try to make this as easy on them as possible and, and help them understand you know the whole process and how to go through these things?
1: I think if I could give one bit of advice, it would be communication. Because I think a lot of times people have an opportunity to move overseas or one of the partners has an idea and they start to look into it. And it's very easy to get caught up in the excitement of it and to think of it as an extended vacation. But I think it's really important to think about it realistically. What's your daily life going to be like? What kind of people are you going to be around? There's all of these basic things that are going to happen every day. I mean, there's a lot that we can't control when we move to another country. And if it's not a good fit for you politically, religiously, whatever it may be, like you need to know that upfront because there's not a lot you can do about it once you're there. And I also think that it's really important for the partners to have really good communication and be on the same page because it can be hard on your relationship you know, with my husband, when we've moved the last few times, he went off to his job and my daughter went off to her international school and I'm sitting in the house trying to figure out why we don't have internet yet. And what I just bought at the grocery store that I thought was sour cream. And maybe now it's cottage cheese. I'm not sure, you know, there's all these things. And if you're used to getting up and going to work, you know, putting on a suit or whatever it may be these days and going to work, It's a very different lifestyle. So you need to really be communicating to try to keep all, like keep the communication flowing for the benefit of your relationship and the happiness of the the greater family. Uh, That's definitely one thing. I also would say for the partner, use it as a time to experiment. I mean, I really, my career was everything to me. And the fact that I allowed myself, I gave myself permission to, go off and do things that in the old, I used to joke around that I became one of the women I used to make fun of. Like I'd say, Oh, you don't have a job. What do you do all day? And when I wasn't working, my husband would come home and say, Oh, what'd you do today? And I was like, Oh, I was so busy. I toured this place. I made doctor's appointments and planned a trip. You know, I would go through the whole list of everything I did and it kept me busy all day. And you know, there's certain things that the partners have to do that aren't so fulfilling. I used to joke around with people that I was the chief relocation officer for my family Because there's just so much that has to be done that you don't think about. I mean, I think every time I moved overseas, my friends just assumed I was on this extended vacation. They didn't see me making 15 phone calls, trying to find a doctor for the weird rash that my daughter has. And I, you know, I don't know where to take her. And so that's another thing is, you know, allow yourself to experiment. And then the third thing I would say is to really Just give yourself grace and just know that there's going to be challenges, but just keep going, just keep moving forward, just keep searching and you'll find your people, you'll find your activities, figure out like when you first arrive, think about what some goals may be, like, what do you want to achieve while you're there and start mapping that out and trying to make it happen. And and maybe it'll change. Maybe you'll get a year into it and say, oh no, that's not what I want to do, but it doesn't matter. It just still gave you a path, gave you a target. I mean, that way you feel like you have some purpose and then that may lead you down a path that gives you even more a broad purpose than you would have sought out if you hadn't picked yourself up out of your normal busyness in your home country and moved overseas and had all these different experiences.
0: Brilliant. I love it. Linda, amazing conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share about your experiences and all that you've learned being overseas. I really enjoyed today's conversation. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them?
1: My website is theexpatpartnercoach.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at theexpatpartnercoach. So that's pretty simple. It's always theexpatpartnercoach.
0: Beautiful. And I will make sure that I have the links to this at expatmoneyshow.com, and you guys can check it out under Linda's episode. Linda, thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon, okay?
1: Thank you so much.
0: I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, It has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore, and I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.